Now turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 1. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Acts 4, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what means have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by which means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. We'll end the reading there at verse 15, and we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Acts chapter 4 at verse 13. It reads as follows, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And my theme today is possessing a good Christian testimony. Now, not that long ago, about the space of two months before these words were spoken by the rulers of Jerusalem, the apostle Peter had experienced a remarkable transformation in his life. 
You see, the period between his denial of Jesus Christ and his preaching on the day of Pentecost and later on can only be explained by the power of divine grace applying the power of the precious blood of Christ. I want you to think of that night when Peter denied the Lord Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And I'm sure when he denied him with oaths and cursings, he gave thought to this, that his ministry was over, that it ended before it even had started. He was probably thinking to himself, I am no good of a person. I have greatly sinned against my Lord. I am on the scrap heap, spiritually speaking. I have betrayed my lovely Lord in his loneliest hour and in his darkest experience. Now, I have no doubt that due to Peter's sin that night, very many would have dismissed him as a complete and utter failure. They would have said, well, there's no way back from this for Peter. Peter, your usefulness for God is gone. You will never, ever enjoy close fellowship with Christ again. Now, think with me of the gravity of Peter's sin. And despite the gravity of his sin... I want you to think for a moment about the restoration of Peter. Remember the various steps, the crowing of the rooster. And at that point, he remembered the words of the Lord Jesus when the cock is crowing three times. Thou will have denied me three times. Think of that look that the Lord Jesus gave him. It was such a penetrating look, such a soul-searching look. As Christ came up the steps from the place where he was imprisoned the night before at the house of Caiaphas, and Peter's there in the courtyard warming his his hands at the fire, and the Lord Jesus came past him, and he's, he's bleeding from the beatings that he's taken, and he doesn't say a word to Peter. He doesn't say, Peter, what are you doing here? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, Peter. He doesn't utter a word. See, to utter a word would have identified Peter as one of his. He just gave him a look. And Peter remembered that look. He remembered the tears because the Bible tells us that Peter wept. He remembered the message, go tell his disciples when he was resurrected and Peter, that he would meet them in Galilee. See, the Lord still loved him. The Lord had a role and a place for him. Think of the probing of Peter by Christ on the seashore of Tiberias when he asked him three times, lovest thou me more than these? There was the searching of his heart. And on that shore, Peter professed his love for Christ and he was charged, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So here's Peter's sin. It's real. It's terrible. It's inexcusable. And yet, there is mercy with the Lord. I want to tell you this morning, there's mercy for every backslider. There is forgiveness for every believer who falls into a very grievous sin. There's a way back. Yes, sin has consequences. Yes, sin hurts Christ. 
Yes, sin hurts the cause of Christ. Yes, sin affects and hurts your Christian testimony. But the Bible tells us that there's forgiveness with the Lord that he might be feared. There's hope after a fall into a great, grievous sin. The grace of God is greater than all our sin. Peter's sin is very great. Denying Christ, disowning the Savior, saying to the little girl and those that were with him or with her, I don't know him, with oaths and cursings. And yet, the grace of God is wonderfully triumphant. You see, Peter's proof. Two months later, it's this very same Peter, the denier, who's declaring Christ. The one who disowned him is now defending him. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, full of the Holy Ghost, becomes one of the foremost preachers in the whole of Jerusalem. Now he is not ashamed of Christ. Now he's not afraid to identify himself with him. Now he is willing and openly to associate with Christ. And do you know that from the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching continued? Acts 3, think of him going into the temple at the hour of prayer. John is with him. Both men are instrumental in healing a lame man. The people are curious. They rush to see. Peter used the opportunity to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A number of saved. And of course, what happens when this happens? Well, the devil doesn't like it. He gets mad. And Peter and John, well, they're arrested. They're put in jail for a night. They're being examined. They're asked by this council of rulers and elders in Jerusalem, give an account of yourselves, men. And what does Peter do? Well, he uses the opportunity to preach Christ. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we, be, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Peter doesn't mention himself. He doesn't preach about the charges that were leveled against him and John. He doesn't preach about a, a man-made movement. But what does he do on this occasion? He preaches Christ. He preaches about the person and work of the Savior. And these chief priests and these rulers and these elders, well, they realize, well, there's something different about these men. We could ask the question, well, what is it? What is it that has made a difference in the life of this man who but two months ago was a denier of Christ and a disowner of the Savior? And here's the answer. Both of these men have a very close association with and a wonderful attachment to Christ. They had a testimony to being with Christ. Listen to the text. They took knowledge of them that they had been 
with Jesus. And I want us to think for the time that we have this morning about possessing a good Christian testimony. Now, think with me of a number of things. Think of the the source of a good testimony. Underline the words in your Bible that they had been with Jesus. What is the source or the origin of possessing a testimony? The answer is being associated with and linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this was the immediate impression formed in the heart and mind of the rulers and the elders of Jerusalem as they listened to Peter and John, as they looked upon these two men. They marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They didn't have to ask them. They didn't go in and make an inquiry about a third party. They didn't get them to write an essay about it. It was obvious. It was clear that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. Do you know when we think about the Christian life, when we think about its beginning, when we think about its origin, here's how it all begins. When you're introduced to the person and work of the Lord Jesus, when you come to understand your need of Christ. Think of Peter, what he said here in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven um, given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's the necessity to be saved. Remember the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. That is born from above, born again by the Spirit of God. And of course, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you recognize your sin for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then you have a, a, a hatred of it. You begin to repudiate it. You, you want to renounce your sinfulness. You repent of it before God. You're sorry enough to quit. And you receive Christ by faith. Could I ask this morning, do you possess a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Do you love him this morning? You see, you cannot live the Christian life without having a Christian testimony. I've already quoted John 3 and 7. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Remember the Bible tells us in John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, to them give he power. The word power means the right. To become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Now, emphasizing that this morning for this reason, there's a book in circulation, it's been in circulation for many decades, and it's called The Imitation of Christ. And that book was written by a man called Thomas Kempis. And it urges you to follow Christ's example, to Walk in Christ's footsteps. But I want to tell you this morning, you cannot follow Christ's example or follow in his footsteps until you come to know Christ. You see, that's putting the cart before the horse. You must first come to Christ, call on him, trust him to save you, receive him to become a child of God. 
You see, the problem today is with many who want to try and imitate Christ. They think that their good works and their prayers and their almsgiving and their preaching of Christ and teaching about him, the aspiration for a holy life, the, 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 the humility that they display, the love that they show, that that becomes the ground of their salvation, that they're earning salvation. But it's not the ground of salvation. That is merely the fruit or the evidence of our salvation. The ground of our salvation is the person and work of Christ. And some people imagine, well, if their name's in a church role, or if they go to church faithfully, and we encourage people to come to the house of God on the Sabbath faithfully, because the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And some people imagine, well, if they go to church and be religious and try their best to be good and kind and honest, well, it makes them a Christian. Well, the reality is, it doesn't. In order to have a good testimony, in order to have a personal testimony yourself, you need to be savingly joined to Christ. You need to know the saving grace of God in your life. And only when you're savingly joined to Jesus Christ on the basis of grace and the ground of his blood sacrifice, then you begin to possess a testimony. You see, a true testimony starts when you're introduced to Christ. And then when you're introduced to him, you can be instructed by him. He can tell you how to live and what to do what to say and the way to say it and why you should say it. And of course, then you can begin to life, live a life of imitating Christ. If we examine Peter's sermon that day, what's it all about? It's about Christ, the person of Christ. He's taken up with the Lord. He points away from himself to the Savior. It's all about the prophecies of Christ. He quotes the Old Testament scriptures. His mouth is full of the word of God. Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders um, set it not. Uh, has become the head of the corner. And then he talks about the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Christ was to heal that man this day. Um, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And then, of course, you have the power of Christ, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead. All about the death and resurrection. You see, it's all here. The source of having a good testimony. So I, I asked again, have you received Christ? Do you know him? Is he your Lord and your Savior? Now think very quickly and secondly of the strength of a good testimony. If you look at our text, now look at our text very carefully. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And we're going to pause there. Notice the two Christian names, young people. Peter and John. Notice they're linked together. It's Peter and John. Notice that they're two very different men. It's Peter and John. Not Peter and Peter. Not John and John. But Peter and John. Can I tell you that one's older than the other? John's the younger of the disciples. One of these men, well, he's loud. You'll always hear him in a room. The other's quiet. One is very outgoing, and one's different. Yet the wonderful thing is this, and this is what grasps my attention, the Holy Spirit emphasizes their togetherness. There's a oneness here between these two men. Did you notice, you didn't, I haven't read it, five times 
The names are linked together in this incident of the Holy Scripture. Go back there to chapter 3, verse 1. Look at your Bible. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Do you see that? Think of these two men, different, but they're going up together into the house of God. They're going up there with a purpose. It's the hour of prayer. So obviously they're going to the place of prayer. They're going to the prayer meeting together. It's not a good thing. And then Acts 3 and 3, it says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And then if you come down to verse 11, it, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And here in chapter 4, verse 13, you've got them linked together again. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And then if you come to verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. Now, do you see that? The Lord Jesus by the wonderful power of his grace, brought these two men together, and both of them are linked on this occasion to being with Christ. These two men love Christ. These two men are living for Christ. These two men are, are, are learning from Christ. They're, they're, they're listening to Christ. They're laboring for Christ. It's interesting that Peter's always first. He played a very leading role. The denier is now declaring Christ. The disowner of Christ is a defender of Christ. Could you imagine John saying, now, wait a minute, Lord. I'm not going to hang about with him. I'm not going to be associated with him. He denied you, Lord, with oaths and cursings. He disowned you about two months ago. He could do the same thing again. But John was willing to play a second fiddle to Peter. And you know what, folks? It didn't bother him. Why? Because he's associated with Christ. He is with Jesus also. He identifies with the Savior. His eyes is in Christ. There's a famous conductor of a great Cynthia orchestra was asked which instrument is the most difficult to play. And of course, I wouldn't know for I can play none. But this is what he said. The second fiddle. How come, the man asked. Well, he says, I can get Plenty, who will be the first violinist. But to get someone who can play the second fiddle with great enthusiasm and joy is a big problem. See, very few people like playing second fiddle. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel small. You feel you're just a number. You maybe even feel you're insignificant in comparison to others. But think of John. And in these five references, Peter takes the lead. And John's happy to go along second fiddle to Peter. You see, these men are not living for the applause of men. They're living for the master. There's another little story told about two men from Barnstable. A man called William Hake and R.C. Chapman. They had been together for 60 years and they were having an interview. Someone was writing a wee bit about them. And this is what they said. Well, we've been contending for 60 years. 
They asked, well, contending about what? Contending for the lowest place. See, many today in the church want to clamor for preeminence, for popularity. But Peter and John were living to please the Lord. And as far as they were concerned, their life was simple because they only had the Lord to please. Isn't our land cursed today? I say this respectfully with many proud preachers, proud parents, proud professors of religion. We've forgotten that God hates the sin of pride. The Bible tells us pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Few serve cheerfully and well playing second fiddle, but John did. And he was serving behind Peter. But the two of them served together. How did they do it? That they had their eyes in Christ. Remember what we read over there in the book of Luke? If you look at Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, and it says in verse 24, this was a question that was asked. Luke 22 and verse 24. Listen to the word of God. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? See, there's pride and prominence coming to the fore. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. And over in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 10, and in the verse 44, you have got something similar. Listen to the word of God. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, shall be servant of all. And in chapter 9, verse 35, we read these words. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Peter and John labored together, worked together, witnessed together, and they made an impression together before the people that they had been with Jesus. There was a oneness about them. And that was the strength of their Christian testimony. Now notice something else, and I have to be quick. The scrutiny of a good testimony. If you go back to our text, notice what it says in our text. Now when they saw the bones of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them. I want you to underline the word knowledge. Knowledge of them. Now what does that mean? They knew intimately, personally. They knew clearly that there was a clarity here. Something was evident to them. Something stood out. These two men, you see, were being watched for 24 hours when they were held in the prison. These men attracted the attention of men who had no love for or relish for Christ. And yet they took knowledge of them. They were intimately familiar, 
personally clear to them that these men had been with Jesus. You see, these men had a testimony that could stand up to close scrutiny. Isn't it sad when some profess the name of Christ, but they have no testimony before the world? These men had. Young people, could I encourage you in school, university, and work to go in there with the intention of nailing your colors to the mask. Whenever I was converted at 18, I was a joiner, training to be a joiner in a carpenter's workshop. And I remember standing up on the little bench and telling everybody that I'd got saved and that I was a believer now and I was going to go to church and I was going to read my Bible and I was going to uh, attend the prayer meeting and I'm a child of God and I was intending to live for Christ. And of course it was laughed at and People put bets on, we'll have you back in the pub in a week. And of course, that was many, many years ago. You see, the world, your classmates at school, your work colleagues, those in the university, they're watching you. You see, it's important that you have a testimony before them. Do you know that your testimony affects your walk. Remember what we read in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, I beseech you, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering for bearing one another in love. You see, the world is watching. And if you do something wrong, if they invite you to the club or invite you to the pub and they hear you swearing in their presence, then they will tell you, I thought you were good living. I thought you went to the free church. I I, I thought you were a Christian. You see, the world has a very, very high standard. And they're watching your walk. I remember many, many years ago, maybe nine months after I was converted, being invited to a nurse's party. Now, some of you have never been to a nurse's party well, you can just imagine what goes on. And I remember I had a little badge on Jesus saves. So I'm in there. I'm a Christian nine months. I've been to church. I haven't been in the pubs or clubs. I haven't been in any of these um, situations from I've got converted. But I've been invited by a friend. And I'm thinking, ah, do you know what? I'll go for a laugh. And I goes in there. And I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. Well, I, I was maybe looking at the odd girl, if I'm honest. And um, at this little badge, Jesus saves. And you know this girl come up to me and you said, David, what are you doing here? I says, oh, I was invited by so No, but what are you doing here? You're a Christian. You go to church now, you're a hypocrite. Your wee badge says Jesus saves. You need to get out of here. And you know, I was in shock. My face was red and I couldn't get out the door quick enough. And I remember going outside and as I came outside the door, it was as if the Lord Jesus was saying, I've been waiting on you to see how long it would take you to get out. You see, it affects our walk. Can I tell you also, it affects our words. See, Peter's not denying Christ now. He's declaring Christ. Doesn't our language have a lot to say about our lives? You see, our language is important in having and maintaining a good testimony. If we're with the classmates and the university students or the work colleagues and we're joining in the topics of the world and we're cursing and swearing like them and using foul speech and loose talk, then they're going to brand us, if not 
verbally, at least in their mind mentally, that we're behaving hypocritically. You see, many who profess the name of Christ will talk about anything in the classroom or in the workplace but Christ. And some who profess the name of Christ will even resort to bitterness and anger and jealousy and envy. And what impression does it give? Our language oftentimes doesn't link us up to being associated with Christ. Remember what the Bible tells us there in the book of Psalms. It says in Psalm 141 and in the verse 3. Listen to these words. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You see, if we think about our mouths, we've got two guards. We've got a row of teeth or two rows of teeth. And we've got our lips. And of course, two guards to keep the wet, slippery tongue in our mouth. James 3 has a lot to talk about the tongue. Many years ago, we preached six messages on the tongue. But I just want you to point out, Peter here speaking freely of Christ. There's nothing of envy here. There's nothing of strife. There's nothing of bitterness. He's not saying, but you boys locked me up in jail for a night. And I'll get even with you. I'll take you to court. No. What's his words based on? Holy Scripture. He quotes the Psalms. See, let's remember not only what we say is important, but the way we say it and why we say it. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it gracious? Is it full of forgiveness? Is it tenderness? Is it being like Christ is it being honest to the situation. See, out of our tongues should never be blessing and cursing at the same time. That's what James is dealing with. And also it affects our work. Think of the context. Peter and John. Do you know what they have as they go to the temple that day? Not only a desire to go to the house of God and a desire to go to the prayer meeting, but they have a Christ-like compassion. They didn't walk past the lame man. They could have said, but we're in a hurry, sir. Sorry, we'll, we'll see you on the way out. They didn't say, but we've got other pressing needs. What does Peter say to him? Peter said to him, a tremendous statement. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. You see, he has a heart for Christ. Christ, we read in Acts 10, verse 38, went about doing good. And the Lord Jesus went about doing good. And so did Peter and John. In fact, it says in Acts 4, verse 9, this good deed done to this man. See, the man is with them. Peter and John have a heart like Christ, full of compassion. Their love for God affects their love for others. And you know what? It also affects our witness. Peter wasn't preaching about himself. Peter says to this man, I've nothing to give you. No silver, no gold, but what I have I'll give you. And what does he give him? He gives him nothing but that which is centered in Christ. He had nothing but Christ to offer the man. And it was a spirit of honesty, but a spirit of humility. He wasn't promoting self. He's promoting the Savior. And you know, if we have a testimony, we'll think often, I am nothing. And I have nothing, and I can do nothing to recommend me to God. And that was Peter's entire message. It was bound up with this thought that Christ is everything, and I am nothing. Peter's decreasing 
in a sense. And Christ is increasing. Christ is to the fore. That's the scrutiny of a good testimony. Think of the scope of a good testimony. Do you know their testimony was consistent in season and out of season? Wasn't this not a highly charged, highly charged situation? They'd been arrested. They'd spent a night in jail. Now they've been tried by the council. Now these men are thinking, what can we do to these Jewish men? They decided, we'll tell them not to preach and teach in the name of Christ and we'll beat them. But you know, this testimony didn't depend on circumstances or depend on their company. They were consistent. In the front of a friendly crowd, they preached Christ. In front of a fiendish crowd, they preached Christ. They still observed their testimony. There was no change in their testimony, even with hard and difficult circumstances. Remember Daniel and the three friends in Babylon? The king's meat, the king's wine, they refused. Why? Because they had a testimony. These men refused to bow the knee to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because they had a testimony. When Daniel was told, you can't pray for 30 days to your God, what did he do? He prayed with his window open toward Jerusalem. Why? Because he was being consistent. Whenever Paul was in the boat in the midst of the storm for many days in Acts 27, in the midst of danger, darkness, despair, loss of hope, danger of loss of life, what are we told? He said, Sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God. You see, in all seasons, his testimony was real. His testimony was clear. Peter and John didn't react with bitterness, anger, discontentment, unworthiness in any way, uncertainty. No, no, they witnessed to Christ. And I would urge you, in all seasons, even with the change of circumstances, whether it's danger, darkness, despair that you, you face, Remember, you have a testimony to Christ and the world is watching. Think about this when we're finished. The spirituality of a good testimony. Notice these words and I'll have to stop. It says, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Do you see the word with there? Do you know what it means? This is not just about being in the company with. Standing with us as a number in a crowd. This word with means in close association with, in close fellowship with. It has to do with their spirituality. There was something seen about these men. Here's the source of their testimony. Here's its strength, two different men together. Here's its scrutiny, it's open. We can see it, we can examine it. It's real, it's clear. Here's the scope. But here's the spirituality. And I ask this as we finish. So I've challenged my own heart. How close are we to Christ? Ask yourself this morning, have I a testimony? And if I have, how close am I to Christ? May the Lord take these few words and bless them to us.